Well, hey, thanks for being here with us. Appreciate you joining us online. Thanks for being here in the room. You know, it's interesting to me the things you hear between services when you're talking to people. I had one family tell me that their uh, toddler uh, has trouble going into the, one of our rooms, our preschool room, but there's a teacher in there that when she sees her, she lights up and goes running in and has a great time. So for those of you who are serving in our children's ministry, thank you very much. You have children who look forward to seeing you every week. You know, the other thing that I heard uh, between services was that today is Dave and Connie Aconcia's 45th, 45th anniversary, right? You were born, or born, you were, you were married on a Sunday. Nice, very good. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, hey, listen, we're going to be spending the next several weeks talking about the church because the church hasn't always existed. I'm not, I'm not talking about MCC, who back in 1954, 50 people gathered to launch uh, us, actually. I'm talking about the church. If you go all the way back in Genesis to the first chapter, the church isn't there. But in all fairness, neither was anything else, right? Except for God. God was there. Uh, but the church is nowhere in the Old Testament. The church is nowhere in the Gospels. It isn't until Jesus goes back to heaven that the church shows up. And it's interesting that they gain this reputation of turning the world upside down. And so we're going to look at how God did and does turn the world upside down through men and women who are devoted to God and to each other because it takes that. And we're going to be settling into the book of Acts, the story of the beginning of the church, to see how God uh, wants to turn our world upside down again. So if you have your Bibles, we're in the first chapter of Acts. YouVersion Bible app has all of our notes as well as the verses for today. So check this out. Acts chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about Jesus, all he began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. Now, the book of Acts, we'll just stop for a moment. The book of Acts uh, is written by Luke. His name may sound familiar because there's a gospel that bears his name. He actually wrote Luke and Acts. It's kind of a part one, part two uh, uh, a sequel type setup. And when someone asked me uh, where they should begin reading the Bible, I've never read the Bible before. What would you recommend as the place that I start? I always take them straight to Luke. Uh, Luke contains many of the teachings of Jesus. You get introduced to a lot of people in Luke that you don't necessarily find a whole lot out about in the other gospels, uh, especially women. So Luke introduces you to a bunch of people. Uh, and by the way, the gospels tell you the reason this is important that he has a one-two kind of a sequel thing the gospel of Luke tells you about Jesus's birth and his life and his death and his resurrection. And then the book of Acts picks up with what happens right after that, what happens next. And if you want a little bit more, we actually have a podcast that's going to drop tomorrow uh, that goes a little bit deeper into the background of the book of Acts uh, and into the life of Luke a little bit. So if you want some more information about that, you can check that out. So, uh, uh, let's look at what he says next. After his suffering, uh, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them, talking about Jesus, of course, over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And I don't know if, if everyone knew that, that after his resurrection, Jesus appeared for 40 days. Uh, one time, he appeared to a group as large as 500 people all at one time. And he had just sort of had one last shot, these last 40 days, to talk about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. So 
John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say this, too. The Holy Spirit is not new. Uh, it's not like they're just unwrapping him and bringing him out of the box, it, you know, in Acts. Uh, if you go all the way back to the beginning, again, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness uh, was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Uh, when Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit shows up. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Listen, Jesus has been talking to his followers about the Holy Spirit. Before he's crucified, he tells them, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. It's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. As Jesus was anointed at his baptism with the Holy Spirit and power, so his followers would be similarly anointed and enabled to carry on his work. And what Jesus uh, has promised his followers is about to, about to happen in Acts chapter 2, but th they don't quite get it. And you can tell they don't get it by the question they ask next. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. I just want to make sure you catch where they still think. They still think this power, where it's going to come from. They think the kingdom that Jesus is going to establish would have this political power. And that was where, that was going to make it happen. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See that word power? I'm going to give you three Greek words today to impress you with how smart I am. And, and because they help paint the depth of the picture of the church that we need to understand. We need to get this. The Greek word for power is dunamis. And it means we get the English word dynamite. From that word that we translate power. So I just want to make sure you get this. It's in the U version notes. Wrote this down so you could take it home. But God has given the church power or dynamite. Not a little bit of power, a lot of power, right? So it's been 53 years ago. I just kind of want to demonstrate the kind of power. But I love the story of a small village off the coast of, of Oregon, a whale washed up on shore. I don't know if maybe you've heard this. It's eight and a half tons. It happened a long time ago, 43 feet long. It laid there for days on end. And everybody thought that somebody else would do something about it. And so they did. They took a half ton of dynamite, and the town was ecstatic that somebody got rid of that whale, right? Uh, and then it began to rain. Eight and a half tons uh, of little pieces of blubber. And it hit, yeah, it hit people. It dented the hoods of cars. I saw one car where the top was just collapsed, damaged rooftops, broke glass. It was a whale of a storm. <laughs> and then the sun came out. Uh, Jesus would say this, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The message version says it this way, I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And so I put this in your notes because I want to make sure you had this right underneath those verses. Too many people overestimate the power of hell, and too many people underestimate the power of the church. The church has so much power, 
that not even hell can prevail against it. And Jesus is about to send his spirit on the church, and then he's about to send his church out into the world. And he says the church will be so powerful that we will become his witnesses in Jerusalem, which was the city they were in, Judea and Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. They will touch the entire world. This is not a minor task. The, listen, the church is called to touch the entire world. It's a global calling. And it's, it needs to not just be the calling of the church, it, it needs to be the conviction of the church that God has called us to that. That's why it's so important for us here at MCC to be involved in what God is doing around the world. And so we're involved in places uh, like India. We are involved in working against human trafficking in Cambodia and Belize. And we're in Brazil and we're in Haiti, places like that, because we agree with Dr. Oswald J. Smith. The light that shines farthest, and we want to shine far, but we also agree that it will shine brightest at home, which is why we support with finances and people places like Helping Hands right here in Miamisburg, which is a food pantry that helps people who are uh, food insecure. And one of our own folks, Barb Standifer, leads the charge at Helping Hands. We have a meal care team, Jamie Pridemore has led, that helps prepare freezer meals for people here in Miamisburg. So when a family is in need, we're able to provide something that has been made, homemade for them. Actually, just so you know, she's looking for someone who would like to take the lead on this team. She will train and equip you. And if you're interested, see me afterwards. But we support Threads, a ministry that gives clothing to other clothing banks, as well as distributing clothing for free right here. We support His Hope, who helps people who have been caught out in addiction and are coming out of that. We help Planting Seeds, who provides uh, gently used and new household items for free to people in our area. And if you have the Uversion notes up, you can see that those are all links. You can sign up to help at any of those uh, ministries here in our area. And I would encourage you to be involved in helping in those local ministries. Here's the next thing I want you to catch. When God sends the church into the world, he is sending ordinary people. As a matter of fact, the people he's talking to in these verses are ordinary people. But in just a few chapters, Peter and John are standing before the religious leaders of their day because they've been preaching about Jesus. And look at how the religious leaders describe Peter and John. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That word for ordinary, it's our second Greek word, is idiotes. Guess what English word we get from the Greek word idiotes, which gives me hope, by the way. <laughs> Doesn't it you? I mean, look at, it, look at around the room at all of the uh, you know, ordinary people that we have gathered here <laughs> this morning. You know, most of these most of the people that he's talking to have never been off the local lake. The Sea of Galilee is basically a glorified fishing pond, and these are the guys. He couldn't even get them out of the boat, remember? And Jesus said, follow me, and we're going to leave this lake, and we're going to go into all of the world, which is beyond logic. It's not even illogical. It's just almost it borders on comical when he says that. Because remember, they're doing this without Expedia.com, Right? They're doing it without the internet. There's no airplanes. There's no automobiles. There's no cell phones. And most unbelievably, and I can't believe they pulled this off, no Starbucks. Listen, this has been God's MO since the beginning of the Bible. He's never gone looking for superstars. God says this, my power is made perfect in weakness. It's why Paul, when he was writing to the church in Ephesus, would say, 
Now to him or to God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his dynamite, his power that is at work within us. Ordinary people who can do extraordinary things uh, because the dynamite power of God's Holy Spirit is at work in their lives and the same is true of us today. God still sends his power uh, through the church through plain old ordinary people like us. That last word in Acts 1.8, uh, again, look, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. It's a key word in the book of Acts, by the way. It's used 29 times uh, as either a verb or a noun. So I want to make sure you catch this. This is really important for us today. When God sends the church, he is sending witnesses. And there are several nuances to that word witness. I would think that all of us, though, when we hear the word witness, and this is in the notes as well, we think in terms of someone who tells uh, what they have seen and heard or what they have experienced, right? In a court of law in that day, in an hour day, witnesses tell what they have seen or heard. They're not telling some secondhand story what someone else told them that they said or heard. They, it's what they have experienced. And a judge is not interested in your ideas. A judge doesn't want your opinion. A judge wants to know what you know. And God needs me telling my friends how God has turned my life upside down. And God needs you telling your family and your friends how he has turned your life upside down for his kingdom. And in this context, I want to make sure you catch this, a witness uses words and actions. It's not that, it's not that you, you don't talk, it just can't be all talk. It's got to be the example of your life as well. James would write this at the end of the New Testament, my brothers and sisters, if people say that they have faith but do nothing, their faith is worth nothing. Show me your faith without doing anything, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. God needs his children in the here and now who live their lives in such a way that the only explanation for what they do, whether people like it or agree with it, but the only explanation is that they love God, they love people, and they are living on mission to make disciples of Jesus who will make disciples of Jesus. It's the only explanation for our, our lives. Here's the third characteristic of that word. A witness is a martyr. I say that because our English word martyr actually comes from the Greek word that we have translated witness. And as you read through the book of Acts, and I hope that you will, as we're in this series, we're going to be in this for 11 weeks. If you will read five chapters of the book of Acts every week, every week you read five chapters. So choose any five days. You have two days to make up or however you want to do that. But if you will travel with us through the book of Acts, five chapters a week, you will have read the book of Acts two times uh, as we go through this. And you'll read about men and women who are ready to give up their lives for the name of Jesus, because, and this is in the notes, to be a witness means that you will be loyal to Jesus no matter what the cost. Kim Huxford, who's the pastor of the Compassion Christian Church in Savannah, Georgia, said that while he was on his study break, he and his wife visited several churches, and they were intentional to visit churches who were making a huge mark uh, in vastly unchurched or anti-Christian environments, communities here in the United States. And he said this, it's in your notes, the churches that are making the strongest impact for Christ are demonstrating the same relentless commitment to reaching their community for Jesus, and this is my words, that we are here at MCC. He said they're willing to address any issue from God's word, meet any challenge, humbly obey any command, joyfully make any sacrifice that will lead people one step closer 
to Christ. And part of what I want to make sure that we recognize as witnesses uh, in this, in our community, is that, well, listen, it's going to run contradictory to what God says in his word. We live in a world that has changed. For example, a podcast I listened to told about the Arizona Christian University uh, who were supplying student teachers to the school district in Arizona for like 11 years. They did that. And they've never had any problems, zero complaints, no problems, no issues. But the school board recently, by unanimous vote, said we will no longer accept student teachers in our system because that school is a Christian school, and so we don't want them in our school system. We don't want their Christian values. And the question became, are we just talking about like Christian values in particular, or are there some specific values that we're, that we're talking about? And... They said it was more specific. The school board had gone into the website of the Christian school and saw that they were standing for biblical values for everything from marriage, traditional marriage, to who Jesus is. And they thought it was too exclusive, too narrow to be allowed in their school. Now, keep in mind, they had not had any incidences, no problems with student teachers. No one refused to help a student or anybody else that they were working with. But because they were Christians committed to following Jesus in this world, they would not allow them in their classrooms anymore. Think about how far our values have shifted and how quickly they have gotten there. Go back 15 years. You could not be elected president of the United States without holding a traditional view of sex and gender and marriage. You know, it's easy to forget that in 2008 when President Obama was elected, his first term, he was against same-sex marriage. By second term, his re-election, he had changed. And by the way, the transgender conversation wasn't even happening. It wasn't even on the map. No one's talking about it yet. But now all of a sudden to hold a traditional view of, of a sex ethic or to hold a tr traditional view of gender, in other words, that a biological man is a man and a biological woman is a woman, we're being told that that kind of thinking is now backwards. And that's happened. I just want to make sure you know that's happened in a very short period of time. Under President Clinton in 1996, Congress passed and President Clinton signed the Defense of Marriage Act, which was a statement that marriage was only between one man and one woman. And overwhelming support in the United States, in the Senate, now gay marriage is on. It's been declared constitutional. In fact, if you're against same-sex marriages, you're a bigoted person. It is called hate speech now. The point is that in such a short period of time, our culture no longer talks about it being right or wrong. It's just kind of expected that it will be accepted. The world has changed, and Christians have been found by our culture to be on the wrong side of these issues. Just 15 years ago, most Americans would have held the traditional view. Now the vast majority of Americans do not hold the traditional view of sex and marriage. So just so you catch what I'm saying, our students who are 15 years old or younger, they've never lived in that world that those of us who are older have lived in. They don't know what that's like. Uh, but it's not just Americans. It's Christians, too. 15 years ago, the vast majority of Christians, pretty much across the board, would have held a traditional view of marriage. But today, it's slightly over a majority of Christians that hold to a non-traditional view of sex and marriage. The Methodist Church is splitting over it right now. We've mentioned that before. I just want to make sure you understand it's not just the world out there. It's happening inside churches. And I don't know about you, but it's intimidating to me to think that God could use me just an, an idiotes, right? Or MCC, a whole bunch of, you know, ordinary people like us 
to make a difference when the culture is pushing back, just like it was in the first century. Cam said the churches that are making the strongest impact for Christ are demonstrating relentless commitment to reaching their community for Jesus. They are willing to address any issue from God's word as we do. And I know that's not necessarily popular with your friends. It may not be popular with everyone in the room. We'll meet any challenge, humbly obey any command, joyfully make any sacrifice that will lead people one step closer to Christ. He added this. Another common denominator among those churches was a rock-solid conviction that nothing of significance can or will happen in any church apart from the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you picked up on it, but we just sang that uh, this morning. Romans 16, when Paul wrote, wrote to the church in Rome, he said, Now to him who is able to establish you. One more Greek word. It's the word establish. is sterizo, where we get our English word steroids. God strengthens us through the Holy Spirit to do what you and I couldn't or wouldn't do on our own. That's how God sends his church into a rapidly changing world. When you become a disciple of Jesus, this dynamite power comes and resides inside of you, lives inside of you. And God, listen, God can use you, even if you are an idiotes. Uh, look around you. The room's full of us. Uh, and maybe it's time for you to become a martyr. And I just want to say, when I say that, it doesn't mean you have to die. God calls us to be living sacrifices. You don't have to die. You just have to be willing to be loyal no matter what the cost. Which, by the way, is why our time of communion each week is so important. Because when we come together, we... We remember that Jesus came not just to talk about, but to demonstrate the love of the kingdom for everyone, everyone. But I want to remind you that it led to the cross. Even though he demonstrated great love for everyone, he ended up dying on a cross for our sins. He traded his life for our sins, and we are called to lead his fo to follow his lead. Not that we're going to die for anyone's sins, because you and I can't do that. But we're supposed to live in such a way that they can know that Jesus did. That's our call. And I know that this moment, because we do it every week, it can just become something we pass through, and it's just one more thing that we do, and, and we move on. But this is why this is so important to us each week, and we have to prepare ourselves for it. Because we are remembering that the life that Jesus lived, we're called to live that as well. We follow his example. We follow his lead in our lives as disciples of his. And it may not make us as many friends as you might think that it would. It could end up costing us greatly. Because we will speak what scripture tells us. And live lives that reflect the hope of the kingdom in a world that is looking for hope in all the wrong places. You are the hope Jesus has put in this world. You are the ones that Jesus calls others to look at and recognize the power of his kingdom through his spirit living in your life. He calls to you and he calls to me and so we stop and we remember that we are following Jesus' lead 
in becoming people who look like him and sound like him and act like him so the people will know that Jesus loves them regardless of what it costs us. And so I'm going to pray and we'll remember together. Father, in this moment, we are grateful to you because you call us to a higher standard of life. You call us to live differently. You call us to live in a, in a way that contradicts our culture because we will not go with the flow. We will stand up for what you have taught us is right. We will be willing to speak the truth even though it will not always be accepted and could be, will be, is already labeled hate speech. But God, may we as your children, with as much love as we possibly can, and Holy Spirit, through you, that's an awful lot. May we help people who will stand against us still experience your love. Because we are, Father, we are your children. Jesus because we will follow your lead and so we come to this moment where we remember Jesus your death on the cross that gives gives us the promise that our sins are taken away and the hope that there is a better place a better way to live here and a better place when we leave there here because this is not home so we look forward to that day but until then we remember Jesus who you are and what you have done that we might follow you and we pray this in your name amen and so we take the the bread that reminds us of Jesus' body that was given for us on the cross in response to his loving the world he was nailed to a cross and we remember reminds us of his blood that was shed for us it doesn't just remove our sins in the past but it moves ahead of us knowing our struggle with sin and it reaches out to the people around us through our lives so that they can experience the love of Christ as well and so we remember and so Father thank you for continually calling us back not just once a week but as you call to us daily hourly moment by moment help us help us to reflect you in such a way that people see the family resemblance and if you would I'll have you conclude this time of prayer by spending some time with God just talking to him about where you are and recommitting yourself to him now